This is 11 o'clock. In 11 o'clock, I'll be talking to people I find inspiring, whose hobbies I find interesting, or whose lived experience can help us shape and improve our worldview. I believe everyone has a story that we can all learn something from, and hopefully by asking the right questions, I'll be able to find some amazing answers. Welcome to 11 o'clock. Welcome back to 11 o'clock, and I'm here with Josh Sanders and Dean Dreberg, and you are the creative team producers of a show called Dial in for Murder. People might remember Josh from talking about sugar babies. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. And you've just had a second season. How did that go? Uh, yes. It was actually our fourth season. Oh, second season in Melbourne? Second Melbourne season, yes. Um, went really well, yeah. Uh, it was my first time producing for Midsummer, and um, yeah, I was really, really pleased. Great. And so, let's chat to Dean. Yes. How are you? I'm well, thank you. That's good. Now, you're the director of the show. Yes. But do you want to tell us about you, so people know how you got to this stage? Yeah, sure. So, uh This is the fourth show I've directed. I came originally from a background as a performer. I studied music theatre and I used to perform in shows and do television and all sorts of different things. And uh, after a while, I kind of thought, "Mm, I'm working in a cafe more than I'm doing this thing that I spent most of my life training for. So I decided to pursue a career behind the scenes. And uh, that started by working in production. Uh, I worked as an associate producer. I've done uh, work as com- in company management, production management, uh, and various other roles. And the passion was always to direct, to be more creative. And so in the past few years, that's what I've sort of been focusing on doing is, uh, you know, developing my skills as a director. And I've been really fortunate to have been offered some great shows to direct, uh, in that time, uh, I directed uh, Memphis the Musical and Bear the Musical for Stage Art. Uh, last year, I co-directed uh, Sunday in the Park with George for Watch This. Um, me and my co-director, Sonia Suarez, just got a Green Room nomination for Best Director of a Musical, which Congratulations. is amazing and scary and like incredible to be up against all the other directors who are like Simon Phillips and Michael Cantor and Roger Hodgman, like all these incredible people in the industry and us. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, so Josh, uh, asked me if I was interested in directing a show for him this year, which is Dial in for Murder. I mean, he asked me about it last year, uh, which was an exciting proposition. So this is how I'm here now. <laughs> and you said you had trained and practiced to become a performer. Did yes. you actually do training and study to be a director as well? I didn't. Uh, what I would say is my training as a director is the many, many years I spent either as a performer or as an associate producer um, that I worked very closely with directors. So working with directors from the early conceptual days of discussing and planning for what a show might be uh, and being alongside the directors throughout the entire rehearsal period, through the technical period, Um, watching shows be maintained on the road for touring productions. So I sort of had a really great insight into what the role of a director is. And I worked with many different directors so I could see how different directors use different methods and approaches and processes and uh, exercises to get performances uh, out at a particular standard. So I feel like I've picked at lots of different things that work well for me and... 
Yeah, so I haven't. Uh, yes, I haven't st- like studied or trained formally as a director, but I've had the experience in the room um, with many great, great directors. That is how I guess I've formed my craft. And when you're directing for theatre, you've got different sorts. So the you know a straight play to a musical mm-hmm. is a very different skill set. Is it or is it? Uh, it doesn't have to be. I, it depends on the individual. Like there are many straight theatre directors who do incredible jobs directing music theatre um, and same the other way around. And in fact, most directors tend to do both. Um, I mean, a few don't, but most of them sort of do a bit of both of that. And it just really depends on the individual show. I mean, even no two plays would be directed exactly the same way or two musicals might be directed very differently. So, um, yeah, so I think you tend to use a lot of your same practices and put them into both. Obviously, with directing a musical, you have to have some understanding of the score because that's quite important and you have to be aware of, you know, what's in the score that you need to, you know, block in stage directions. Uh, You need to be thoughtful of choreography and other elements that are particular to musical theatre, whereas in a straight play, you don't have those elements there and you just focus on the text and and pushing the story through. Yeah. <laughs> well, and when you're well, directing a musical and you've got to work with generally a choreographer and probably a conductor, mm-hmm. how much do you get input into what they have to do on stage? Well, normally it starts before, well, well, well before rehearsals when you're having creative discussions about what this show might be. Uh, I mean, what I would do is sit with a choreographer and say, these are the moments where I feel like we need choreography. And sometimes it's not the obvious moments where it's like, oh, that's a certain, you know, tempo of a song. Let's get people in dancing for that. So sometimes that doesn't work for me. Sometimes I want to have choreography in other moments. Sometimes you want to have choreography happening in the background where something else is happening in the foreground and it might not be the natural place to put it, but depends on the creative reasons behind it. And, um, with a musical director, you always have meetings beforehand where you decide, you know, what are the, what's the tone of this particular song and how do we want that performed? And where do we want the orchestrations to really build in this moment? Um, so you have all of those creative discussions before rehearsals so that all three of you as a creative team are on the same page. Uh, and then in the rehearsal room, you always sort of work closely together and make sure that it is one cohesive piece. Sometimes you see pieces where it's like, I don't think the choreographer, the director and the musical director are in the same room with each other because there's many different things that are happening or all competing for different things. And then other times it's so beautiful that you can't tell where the stage blocking ends and the choreography begins or, yeah, it all sort of seamlessly happens. And that's, yeah, what I like to try and do. And how much preparation do you do when you're going into rehearsals? And you've spoken to all of those people you know, have you planned out pretty much everything you do before you walk into the rehearsal room? I do. I know I've worked with other people that go get into the room and then try and discover what happens on the floor. I, as I came from a background as a producer, I'm very organized. So I always arrive at day one with my entire show blocked and sorted so that I don't have to spend that discovery time. I sort of start blocking straight away and then you have more flexibility to adapt things and change them to make sure that they work rather than spending all the time discovering and playing around and then go, Oh yeah, that works. And then you don't have time to perfect that and clean it. So just to be more efficient with time, I spend depending on how long, like sometimes, you know, the show that you're doing a year in advance, which is a great thing. And so I will start 
planning that immediately. But then in the normally in the months, couple of months leading to rehearsals, that's when I really start putting my head down, getting into my script, notating my script, writing down stage directions for every scene that I think is important. And then I come back to it and add more and change things and just keep on, you know, reading it and going back over it. So conversations with other creatives might happen six months in advance and you start having those and then you have regular meetings and yeah, kind of go through the show from start to finish with your creatives and make sure that everyone's on the same page. Are you naturally like that at being that much organized or is it actually your producer hat pushing your director going, I need to be really organized because this costs money. Time is money. It's well, I'm definitely, I'm, it's a bit of both really. Like I am naturally like that because I do want to be prepared when I go into something and have all the answers because it is stressful being there in that position as the leader. And when you have a company and a cast staring at you and, and wanting to know everything. So I find it's much better that I do all this prep work beforehand. So I can answer those questions when they come to me. Um, I I've seen people in the position where they don't really know what they're doing and people are all looking at them for leadership and answers. And it puts them in a really stressful and awkward position when they can't answer those questions. And sometimes it's like, well, if you haven't done your proper prep work, <laughs> that's the position you'll be left in. Yeah. I kind of know the answer to this question because I'm sitting in this room, but how much like research or going to see shows and plays and musicals do you do? A lot. <laughs> uh, I see as much as possible. Uh, I see things that I'm interested in seeing and I see things that I'm not interested in seeing. So sometimes I'll go and see something because I know I might get some inspiration from it. Um, if someone recommends something, I will generally try and do my hardest to go and see it. So yes, I try and see everything regardless if I'm, if I feel passionate about it or not. Um, I have a lot of friends in the industry, so I'm always also going to support them by seeing their work. And then sometimes I will force myself to go and see other things for inspiration, which might be an orchestral piece or an opera or a dance piece or uh, some abstract experimental thing or an art installation. So I try and see as many different things that might fuel me creatively as possible. But in terms of, I mean, that's not necessarily with, if I'm researching a show, I'll go and research the show by going and seeing other shows. When I'm researching a show, it tends to be more centered around things that support that show. So it might be um, reading books or, you know, researching historical information or, uh, you know, listening to pieces of music that were written or, yeah, things that are specifically about that show. I research in that way, but then in my normal life, I try and see as much as possible and draw inspiration from that. Are you a note taker? Like, do you write notes after seeing shows saying what you liked, didn't like? I have um, on my iPhone, my notes, I've got many, many, many different, I think I've got like, I checked recently, I've got like 46 notes at the moment. Some of them are specific things of like ideas for a particular show and other ones are just like random ideas on a note. So I always, whenever I see something that I like, I try and take a photo of it if that's a thing or I yeah, write a note down or try and find a web link so I can find out more information about it and tag it and save it for later, um, bookmark it. So yeah, or I'll go and buy a book that I think might help me out. So I'm always yeah taking notes and yeah. And how much do you plan 
your life ahead? Like, do you plan, you're working on this show, do you plan what your future shows are? How far ahead do you plan and organize stuff? When it's, uh, when I am able to plan far ahead, I do that, but sometimes you don't know what that is. So at the moment, I know Dial In For Murder, we start rehearsals uh, in just over a week. So that's very much taking up all of my space at the moment. And then I'm directing another show in September. And so I'm also doing a bit of work on that. Um, beyond that, I have other projects that I do outside of theatre for money, my um, <laughs> other life. Uh, so, yeah, so I have to also plan for those things to sort of happen in between then. But, I mean, at the moment, I know what I'm doing up until the show I'm doing in September. I don't know if any shows will come before that or what show might come after that at this stage. So, Do you lead and find your own shows or do people come to you? I've been really lucky that people have come to me and found me. After I did my first show, it was on closing night that I got offered my next show. And then it was very soon after I finished that show that I was approached to do another show. So it sort of has flown really nicely for someone who, I mean, I consider myself in early days as a director, um, even though I've spent over 20 years working professionally in theatre in as a performer or a producer or whatever. Uh, so I'm really lucky that all of the jobs so far have people have come to me and asked me about them. I have got lots of great ideas and there are producers who I am intending to hit up for, yeah, to pitch them other ideas that I have for other projects. But um, yeah, at the moment I've been lucky that people have come to me. <laughs> and how hard is it to actually continue and be motivated to stay focused on working in this industry? Look, at times it is very challenging because, I mean, financially it's difficult to 100% earn a living in this industry. You always have to fall back and do other things. Um, I'm really fortunate that the other things that I do are very interesting and um, still feed me creatively, so I could happily just do them, but it's very hard to give up the love for theatre. Uh, but is that answering the question? I don't know. Is that... Yeah, it's, it's hard work, but yeah, you stick it to is, it. Yeah, it's challenging, absolutely challenging. But you're always motivated to do it and to stick with it because the payoff is so great. Like when you get the opportunity to direct a show and you see your vision come to life and then you see how that affects other people when you sit in the audience and see them responding to it and liking it or cast members saying that they had an incredible experience doing it, that's such a great payoff and that gives you that motivation to push on and continue. And what's a sign of success for you? That is such a broad question. A sign of success is it comes in so many forms because for me, theater is about experience. That is what the success is. If you come out of a project and you look back on it and it's been an incredible experience and other people have also had a great experience. That's when I find that that was a success because success doesn't come in the form of ticket sales because you can have the best shows that don't sell and they close. Um, it really, or it's not about awards or anything. It's really about walking out of a, you know, finishing a project and thinking, has everyone had a good time? Are we better people for doing this? Did we possibly make people happier as they walked out of the theater? Yes. Then yeah, that's success to me. Cool. So now the show is Dial In For Murder. Yes. Do either of you want to tell us about that? Yeah. I mean, I've been talking a lot, so I'm going to let Josh <laughs> Talk about that a little bit. Oh, damn it. Can I read off this page? No. <laughs> um, dial in for murder. So um, 
Thailand for Murder is, uh, it was a stage play originally um, by Frederick Knott, um, which was then adapted almost verbatim into the Hitchcock film. And so we're kind of plucking it back out onto the stage again. I don't want to give too much about the story away, but obviously it's centered around murder and infidelity. And there's a lot of uh, very classic kind of Hitch- Hitchcock tropes in there. Um, yeah, so I'd say it's a, it's a bit of a thriller, um, lots of suspense. Um, but the thing I love about it is the whole show is set in one room. And that was kind of what drew me to the film originally was the way I was kind of astounded how they were able to create this this thrilling storyline without even changing scene you know and the tension is constantly building and i just i just thought that was absolutely amazing were you a massive fan of the hitchcock movie or just the actual the ability of being in that room or how he directed the film well i mean i came to the i came to the piece through hitchcock because i'm i studied uh film in my first degree and i was a huge hitchcock fan and um dial m is not one of his better known films, but the first time I watched it, I absolutely loved it. And it was, it was like I said before, it was that um, simplicity in the way that it was sort of staged and the story is told that really drew me to it because it's very unique as a film and as a Hitchcock film as well to, to have a film that's so uh, tied to one space. So you went and chose it. How hard was it to get the rights to develop, you know, and stage what, you know, an Alfred Hitchcock known thing, even if it was done prior? Yeah, well, I, I um, I've tried to do this a few times. There's a lot of old. I love old Hollywood, and there's so many things that I would love to adapt to the stage, and it's always very hard to get the rights for those older films. Um, but in this case, we were super lucky because it was a stage play originally, and because the film script is almost identical to the stage play we just uh, applied to get the stage play rights and that was a relatively simple process because with stage plays they go through agencies and it's all a streamlined process so you know had had that not been the genesis of the story it would have been much more difficult and dean you had directed the 39 steps is that correct not directed it. I did. I was the associate producer for the Australian tour of the Thirty Nine Steps. Uh, it was directed by Terence O'Connell, uh, who did an incredible job. But it gave me that familiarity with a Hitchcock show on stage. Um, that one was a very different production because it was loosely based on the Hitchcock film, but it was written as almost a parody of the original 39 Steps film and also parodied a lot of other Hitchcock films. And even the the soundtrack for it had samples of different Hitchcock scores in there. The script had bits of dialogue that threw to other films. So that was a very different style of show. Um, it was very physical comedy style show um, with four actors playing over a hundred roles. And I was, I felt very close to that production because I spent a long time um, with them, uh, even went on the road with the tour for a little bit of time as well. So I felt very close to that. And when Josh asked me if I was interested in directing Dial M for Murder, I thought, oh, I've worked on a Hitchcock play before. And I had seen uh, the MTC production of North by Northwest, which again was very physical and different. 
And I knew that I wanted to do something completely different with this as well. Even from its original form, I knew I didn't want to just do a 1950s museum piece of a of the play. I wanted to bring something really contemporary to it. I was just wondering, because when I originally read that this was happening, I just made the assumption that you were going to make it into a farce because of the 39 steps and having seen and loved that in London. Mm. Do you think that that... It's not so well known in Australia, I don't think, but do you think that's an issue for the audiences? Um, Look, if they think it's going to be a farce, I'm happy for them to come along and be surprised. And either way, like even if people think it's going to be the traditional Hitchcock style or the traditional style of the play, I'm very happy for people to come along based on that and I hope to surprise them in a good way with what we're doing with it. Hitchcock movies are known for their soundtracks and you mentioned the music that you are using and that's different to Hitchcock style, whose choice was that and how did you develop that process? So I guess I, well, well that takes us back to like another, que- a different question, which is, I guess, how, we, how we're presenting this production, which is we're presenting the production, but we're bringing in a lot of contemporary elements into it. And one of those is the soundtrack. When I was thinking what I could do with this show that's different, which is what I always do when someone hands me a script. It's like, what can I bring to this? And why? what do I have to say about this in 2020? And I was thinking about contemporary film noir, how they differ from the original film noir. And one of my favorite contemporary film noir, one of my favorite films is Drive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love how they use soundtrack in that to help build the tension and it's all like an 80s synth sounding soundtrack and it works really well with the darkness of the film and so I thought that's what I might bring to Dial In For Murder is a bit of an 80s synth soundtrack. So I was listening to lots of different pieces of music. Um, It started with looking at the piece of music that we used in Drive and then looking at similar artists and listening to their work and that led me down this rabbit hole of amazing music. (laughs) Wasn't complaining that I had to listen to all of that. And I found a piece of music that I thought really suited the thriller suspense genre as an 80s synth piece. It's quite orchestral. Like it starts quite mellow and, and calm and it really builds and builds and builds. Uh, And so that's a piece of music that we're using. And then I also put a bit of music together myself. I, am musically inclined. I did study music for many, many years. So I got on my computer and put together a bit of a a track that we're also going to be using, which is like a synth bass that might just happen as a bit of underscoring in the show as well. And when you're developing a play for, with real tension underneath it, and you want the audience to feel that, how does that work in rehearsal? Because you're trying to build it, but you can't, tell really can you or is is it harder to tell or how do you know when you've got it right because you know something is when you're there and doing something it's not as easy to know if it's well I, I for me the tension is built by various elements all coming together at the right time so it's the the delivery of the text from the actors and how they drive the emotion of the piece by how they how they speak and how they use the text it's happens visually by how the actors move around the space and also how you use lighting and how you build lighting and bring lighting down and 
that can also help um, heighten emotion. And then the other thing is by using music. So it's, yeah, listening by using your ears, your eyes, and building tension through all of those elements. But it's all about timing. It's all about having everything happening at the right time so that this tension builds. And, you know, most Hitchcock films use uh, strings and the scores use strings in an interesting way, how they, you know, sometimes they start nice and calm and they make you feel calm and then all of a sudden they go crazy. Like, you know, think of the famous um, shower scene in Psycho. That music is really driving the senses as well as what's happening visually in front of you. So I think the same thing can happen on stage. And Josh, just wondering, what's this experience been like for you as a producer? You're producing a very different show. How much work have you had to do or doing compared to, say, Sugar Babies? Uh, This has been a very new experience for me, a very pleasant one. So I've produced a couple of shows before. And each of those times I've been involved in almost every aspect of the show, whether it's designing costumes, organizing set, music, directing things, helping with choreography. Like, you know, I've, I usually have, you know, my tentacles in all the different things. And this is my first experience with kind of handing it over to a team of people and just waiting to see what happens. And I'm loving it, I have to say. It's it's amazing uh, not having to do everything and I'm super excited to see what happens with it and from what I've seen so far I think it's going to be a really great show and yeah has it been hard to stay out since you loved it so much and your experience has always been I so think involved? um I think you know looking forward I think there are going to be certain projects where I have a very clear vision of how I want them to pan out. And I think this particular show, I knew I wanted to do it, but I didn't necessarily have that kind of fully formed vision of what it would look like. So I haven't found it particularly difficult to let other people take control of it. So yeah, for this particular show, that that hasn't been an issue uh, for so I'm currently working on the next installment in the Sugar Baby series, and I think that's going to be a very different process. I think I'm going to want to take control over that again. So I think it's going to be a show by show kind of decision making. Now it's on at Chapel of Chapel. That's is that right. right? Yes. When is it on? Uh, the 26th of March to the 28th of March. So we've got uh, four shows. And. When we spoke about doing this, I was suggest I suggested that I, maybe I should watch the movies, and you nixed that idea straight away. Do you and do you hold to that that people should definitely not see the movies, just come and watch this? Or um, look, I think people can do do what they want. I mean, as Dean said, if if people uh, you know are Hitchcock fans, it's not going to be the same as the film, but I think it it is different and adds to the film because, you know, with any theater that you produce, you want it to be relevant and you want it to be saying something. And so if we were to produce a direct copy of the film, you know, it, it doesn't really, it doesn't really seem relevant anymore. So, so yes, it is the original film, but it adds to it and it makes it more relevant to today. So I think if you want to watch the film to prepare for it, do if you don't you're still going to enjoy it just as much 
I should point out though, I didn't. I don't think I actually told you about this, but um, we're running a bit of a competition. Uh, I did see it, but you can tell people. About I would it. love to tell people about it. So we are running a murder mystery competition. I've created, and it took me a very long time to create this, a murder mystery scenario. It's kind of like a picture book almost, 30 pages. There are five suspects and one murder victim. And so the idea is that people read the story, pick up on all the hidden clues. There are a lot of red herrings in there as well. They have to solve the murder and they send their accusations to us. And if they are correct, they go in the running to win a VIP backstage package for themselves and 10 friends for Dialing for Murder. And where do they find? Them? So if you head to our socials, so on Instagram, we are smoke and mirrors underscore productions on Facebook. We are smoke and mirrors productions, Australia. You will find the story on there and it has all the details about how to enter, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. And I think it will really appeal to murder mystery buffs and true crime buffs and all that sort of stuff. So. Excellent. So I will put all the links for people to, try and solve the murder that would be great is it hard do you think it's, do you think? i think it's very hard we've actually um so i've been posting it week by week it run, it's been running over six weeks and there's one more post coming on monday and we've actually had a few people already accused and no one has gotten it right so far all right so everyone's still in with a chance everyone is still in with a chance absolutely yes it's very tricky there's a twist okay and that's all i'm saying that's all i'm giving away good luck with rehearsal starting next week thank you and uh, hopefully someone can solve the murder. I hope so, because otherwise we'll have 10 tickets on our hands. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of 11 O'Clock. Please rate and review us on iTunes, comment on our Facebook page, and share us to your social media. I look forward to bringing you more episodes very soon.